The following podcast is a Simpronto Media production. She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so excited to have Anthony Balduzzi here. And he is the founder of the Fit Mother Project and the Fit Father Project. So welcome, Anthony. Thanks for having me, Chantel. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in this. Well, you know, my story in my introduction to health actually came through some fra- some tragedy. Um, growing up, I basically watched my dad um, work himself to the bone. He worked long hours at work. He skipped out the eating. He missed exercise. He got super stressed. Um, and he eventually got so sick that he passed away at 42 years young. I was nine at the time and my little brother was six and it rocked our world. I mean, you know, I, I watched the man who was my superhero pass away and I became the man of the house very quickly. And one of the things I, I learned from watching my dad you know, neglect his health is that he had his heart in the right place. He was trying to do everything he could to put food on the table for me, my mom, my little brother. But I also learned at the end of things, you know, health is the foundation of our ability to do that. It's our ability to, um, you know, be there to do the work to provide, to make the memories with our families. And I saw my dad lose all of that. So it really fired me up to start studying health. And then after that, you know, I watched my mom struggle to keep our family together and I, I saw the toll it took on her. And so as a family, we came together and we started studying nutrition and exercise and learning how to keep these bodies healthy amidst the busyness of life that really hurt my dad. And so we figured out how to do that. Um, and that blossomed into a whole passion for helping others with what I learned. Um, you know, I got very into fitness, into nutrition, eventually went to medical school. Um, and that culminated with the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project. And we're basically on a mission to make healthy eating, regular exercise, and the right mindsets around health simple and sustainable. Because when we look around, most people know the healthy things they should do, but it's more like, how do we get the behaviors to be consistent over the long haul? So that's what we're passionate about. And we're super excited because across our two companies, we've helped over 500,000 men and women in 100 countries lose weight, um, build muscle and get their families healthy too. So it's what wakes me up in the morning. It's, it's what I absolutely love. Um, and I definitely do it in memory of my dad, um, of my, for my mom, but I also do it for God because I believe that this is the work and we're, we're here to thrive. And health is such a thing that many of us need to learn how to manage better. That's so awesome. I love that. So tell us kind of a couple of tips. So if someone is starting out, what are kind of your big tips that you give people of what to do and then give us a few not to do's? Mm -hmm. Well, I think when you're looking to live healthier, um, it comes down to understanding what the priorities are because there's so many things that we know we could be doing. We could be eating healthier. We could be exercising more. We could be spending less times on our phones. We could be sleeping better. And from my experience of coaching thousands of men and women, I, I believe that there's a hierarchy around what we attack first as our priorities. And a lot of people think that it should be nutrition and exercise because that's the main conversation. But what it actually is, is sleep and getting your body back into the natural rhythms. Um, we live in this very, uh, 
technology driven, fast paced culture. We have phones and we have lights and we have all these things. Um, and it's kind of tricked us to believing that we're separate from the cycles of nature, the way nature's designed with the sunrise comes up, that sun hits our eyes, leads to a whole cascade of hormones. Our brains release serotonin. We synthesize vitamin D3. And then at night, when the light goes down, we release melatonin and it helps our bodies. Uh, it's, a, it's an anti-inflammatory. It helps clean up the brain. Um, it actually is research proven to help women uh, lose weight when they have proper melatonin production. The point being is we need to reestablish this natural circadian cycle, because if we don't do this, the research is very clear. The diets and the workouts are not nearly as effective. So it's like pushing a ball uphill versus when you get your body into this proper cycle, um, you're going to be have a lot more effortless uh, success and your willpower is going to be higher. Your blood sugar regulation is going to be better. So the first thing is to take a, a reflective audit on your sleep. Like what are we doing around our sleep? And sleep is not just an evening thing. It's also like a morning thing. Are you getting morning sunshine between, uh, you know, let's say anywhere from the sunrise until noon for 15 minutes a day, getting sun in your eyes. This kick starts at neurochemical cascade. Um, are you finding that late at night you're on the phones or the TV and you're finding that your sleep is a little bit disturbed? How much caffeine do you need to maintain, you know, healthy energy levels? Ultimately, when we work on fixing the circadian rhythm first, it makes it a lot easier to see results from exercise and the healthy eating. So that is step number one. And once we um, get a little, and it really comes down to just being more intentional. I think we know where our gaps are. It's just like being honest about them and creating the boundaries. So it might be creating a healthier morning routine, a, an evening routine where technology shuts off and just figuring out where those gaps are. If you're too hot at night, you got to find a solution to keep your bed cooler. You know, all these, these things come in. We just need to add a little conscious awareness to that process. The second step in the good news Hold on, is that, let's stay there for yeah, just a second, because perfect. I think that, that that's so important. And I will tell you for me personally, I used to get up some days at four 30 in the morning, I would set my alarm. I'd be at the gym at 5am. And then some days I'd work out at 6am. So it was either 5am or 6am. And that was five to six days a week that I was doing that. And I was realizing that by literally eight o'clock at night, I was so tired that I, like my son, my husband, I'd say, Kyle, my I'd tell my husband, can you put Kyle to bed? Cause I'm going to sleep. My son wasn't even going to sleep. And I was that exhausted. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I started, I now wake I certain days I go to bed. I wake up at 6am to mm -hmm. go work out, but other days I allow myself and I just pray about it. I'm like, I have different classes so I can go to like a you know, 6am class, I can go to a 7am class, or I can go to an 8am class. And so I just kind of go, okay, God, whatever time you want me to wake up tomorrow, I still can go to the gym. But I might go to the 6am, I might go to the 7am, or I might go to the 8am, depending on and allowing my body mm -hmm. to just wake up naturally, has been really, really great for me. And just me allowing myself to not be so rigid, and being like, I have to, you know, 5 a.m. is when I'm yeah. getting up to, to go to the gym it has been kind of powerful for me. And I want you to kind of expand on the cooling and how important that is. And what are you doing? Like, as far as, you know, do you have a cool, one of those cool things that you put on your bed or what are you doing to make sure you are cool at night to get that really great sleep? Mm-hmm. 
Well, first off, yeah, awesome that you have gotten to the point of like watching your own personal rhythm. And I think that's something that everyone can allow themselves to have more permission with because we have this, this balance between the rigidity of the schedule and also the flexibility with listening to our bodies. Now, I, I would, I'd like to keep this, you know, I'm kind of like a, I like some philosophy stuff. So in the overarching conversation, we talk about temperatures, this whole temperature thing fits into our natural circadian rhythm. Um, as when we're going into the later parts of the day, um, we have a peak of body temperature, um, let's say around six, seven, and then the body starts to slow six, 7 PM. And then it starts to cool down throughout the night. And as the body cools, the metabolism slows. And this is the body's, uh, essentially natural cycle to get into this, um, very deep, restful, lower metabolic activity, healing kind of state. And so the body should be cooler as it goes into bed. And then over time, you're going to hit the peak cool in the middle of the night. And then it's going to start to, as cortisol rises in the morning, naturally to wake us up, body temperature will start to rise um, in the early morning hours. So the key thing here is to make sure that we're not too hot when we're sleeping. We've all had the experience of like those summer nights sleeping where it's like sticky, it's hot and we're, we're restless. We can't sleep. It's because heat for our bodies signals metabolic activity. If you've ever seen those diet pills or, or people taking like weight loss pills, they're called thermogenics. That means heat producing. This is metabolism. And so at night we want to make sure that we have the cooler temperatures. Um, so one thing that you can do um, is get some kind of a cooling pad. I do have one from a company called Uller, which is nice. It's a little pad that um, kind of circulates a little bit of water underneath the, your bed sheet and it helps keep that bed a little bit cooler, but also take an audit of like a lot of people buy these super fancy comforters or down comforters and really heavy stuff, but there's better fabric sometimes that allow heat to escape um, a little bit better. A nice thing too, is to take a, a shower before you go to bed. One that's not super hot, but maybe a little more like neutral or tepid temperatures. Um, yeah. It can help the body kind of cool down. And I would also say is not eating too late might be one of the biggest factors. And it's not that eating late necessarily causes your body to rampantly store fat, but it does increase your core temperature. We all know sometimes after we have a big meal, we feel that heat in our body digestions happening. We feel that flush of activity. The body wants to naturally slow down at night. The metabolic processes want to slow down, rest and digest. So if you do shift that first, that evening dinner meal a little bit earlier and you give your body some more time to digest, you're going to find that your core temperature is going to be naturally a little bit lower than if you just had a big meal right before bed. Um, so these are all some variables to consider. I think, I think it comes down very simply. I think it's probably best for people to sleep mostly naked in a place in a, in a bed where you have some kind of cooling apparatus. If it is more the winter months, you can crack a window. You can take that shower before bed and don't eat too late at night. Um, it will cause that digestive fire to kind of happen and that can disrupt your sleep. So it's funny because my son is nine and when I put him to bed, we have this big overhead fan over him. And one night he was like, oh, I'm freezing. And I was like, oh, I'll turn off the fan for you. He's like, no, mom, don't turn it off. I said, why? He's like, because I'm always cold right before I go to bed. But I like that fan because I always get hot in, you know, in the middle of the night. So he's like, I love it on. And it's just like naturally, like he's such an intuitive, he's so intuitive mm -hmm. with his body. It just is so funny that he understands that, that he's yeah, totally need that coolness at night. So there, there are some different cooling pads. Like obviously you said the chili pad Uller, there's mm -hmm. the bet, the bed jet. And yep, then I've had that. And I will pod. recommend the Uller over the bed jet, the bed jet bros air, the Uller circulates uh, water. So that's just my like personal the experience. The best. Cause I think the bed jet, it's kind of, it's kind of weird if you have air blowing on your feet all night, <laughs> I think yeah. the bed just eating a bed, but I, I'd recommend something like a, a water circulating pad, like an Uller. It's a lot better. Have you tried the pod? Have mm, you heard I that have not. one? 
Yeah, no. I don't know. I haven't tried that one, but I, I think I need to get one. I'm going to get the chili pad or I think that's what- Highly recommended. Like. And crank your, th- if you have the ability to get your thermostat lower in your room, um, I think there's actually some substantial research that shows the ideal um, temperature for sleeping is in the 60s. It's anywhere from like 60, like let's just say 60 to 60 to 69, somewhere in that range. Like, And almost the cooler, the better. And this kind of comes back to our rhythm discussion is our bodies thrive when we're exposed to both heat and cold. So there's so many tremendous benefits of things like sauna therapies that get that body in a very hot state for detoxification, increasing those heat shock proteins. But at night, when we are cold, it actually helps our metabolism uh, increase something called brown fat, which does is metabolically active. It can help you burn fat at night. So there is a benefit to even just cranking that room temperature down. Very, very good for health. Awesome. Okay. So give us another one. Okay. So with the hierarchy, we've kind of discussed, right? The rhythm stuff is like primarily like audit your rhythms. The second thing um, is one of the biggest objections we hear from women and men in our programs is like, Hey, Dr. A, I'm just so busy. Like, I just don't feel like I have the time. I'm getting the kids up in the morning. I wish I could wake up at 5am, but I'm exhausted. I can't exercise. And the good news is that when it comes to, let's just say losing weight and establishing a healthier rhythm, um, nutrition is the key. It's easily like, and I'm sure you know this intimately with your own life and story from what I've read. It's like nutrition drives um, your weight loss success. Um, And the key with nutrition is not to get into the minutia of looking at different kinds of diets. It's not to be like, oh, should I eat this macronutrient composition? Should I be keto keto or plant-based? It's truly to find a meal timing schedule that works for you uniquely that like fits your life. Because what we don't want with a nutrition plan is there to be too much friction where it's something that, Oh, I I follow this celebrity. She did this and it works really well, but the plan doesn't fit with your life daily rhythms. We need something that works for you. So for a lot of people, intermittent fasting is a very elegant and simple solution. It's like, let's keep the morning simple. We'll skip that first meal and just hydrate, have that first meal sometime around 10, 30, 11, a snack around two dinner at like five or six, that works fine. But you know, that's one strategy. Other people are like, I'm totally a breakfast person. I need it. I feel best when I have breakfast. If that's the case, you can have breakfast at eight, lunch at noon, a snack at three, dinner at six. The key is not which one um, is best. It's which one is best for you. So we got to create that structure and make it conscious because when you do that and you're like, oh, this is my meal timing schedule setup. This is when I eat. Then nutrition becomes proactive instead of reactive. Because if you don't do that, ultimately you have this like just your schedule gets all amorphous. And then maybe you had lunch at noon and then you forgot to eat until dinner and then you're starving and you're cranky and then you overeat at dinner. Then you feel crappy the next day and this whole vicious cycle starts to repeat itself. So um, what we do with our programs is we help people establish meal timing schedule setups. We give them five options. We help them find the one that fits best for them. And then we help them establish that. And we can talk about foods after that, but I think behaviors are more important because all of us know like what the healthy foods are, but it's a matter of like, when are we actually planning these things in and like a half routine throughout the day. Um, And then also the next question that begs itself, which we can get into in a second is like, how do we pave the path to success so that we make healthy eating like more simple and we don't have to exert as much willpower and choice? Yeah. And I think that, you know, whatever path that you go on, as far as, you know, someone, people say, you know, I feel better when I eat lower carb. And this one says, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel better when I have grains. The, the one thing I will say that most nutritionists will all agree on is that sugar has to be extraordinarily limited 
in a massive, massive way because, you know, they, they've done research on rats and they've found that sugar is more addictive than opioid drugs such as cocaine. And there can be withdrawal symptoms such as depression and behavioral problems when people try cutting out sugar completely. And I think that we we do need to be looking at refined sugar mm-hmm. with more caution and be talking about that. That's why I'm doing a 30-day coming up in about a week. If people are interested to go to ChantalRayWay.com slash kick sugar. But I think that, you know, I'm not a fan of deprivation, but I do feel like there are people who are truly addicted to sugar. Absolutely. And that is a a real issue that people need to look at. Can you talk about sugar for just a second? Absolutely. And I I think what you said is super important with the aspect of refined sugar in particular, but let's talk about what happens when, when sugar hits the system, we eat sugar. Um, and what's the first thing that's going to happen is that blood sugar level is going to start to rapidly rise. We get a little bit of rush, rush of energy. The body's then going to start secreting insulin, pancreas's job, to help normalize that blood sugar. And when we have a huge rush, the body has to compensate very hard by releasing a lot of insulin to start to clear that sugar out of the bloodstream because it is not good for our bodies to have sugar floating around. When sugar's floating around the bloodstream in high amounts, it binds to our red blood cells. It causes inflammation. It's actually food for lots of bacteria and stuff like that that can float around. It can promote infections. In fact, they've, they've even shown that like white blood cells are immune cells. When they're bathed in sugar solutions, they basically act like they're drunk. They're like half as effective. So this is why people, and this is actually very relevant shooting this right now, when we have, you know, some coronavirus stuff, what are the, what are the main things, the, the comorbidities that people are talking about are like the worst things Well, with diabetes, right? You have high blood sugars all the time. Your immune system's not nearly as effective. So this whole concert's happening. And when your body's secreting a lot of insulin, it shuts down fat burning. This is kind of insulin's job. It's, it's an amazingly important hormone because it's like, let's get this nutrient nutrition into the cells. And as we're doing that, we're going to kind of, because we got an influx, we're going to slow down the body natural liberation of fat. The problem is many people are getting these sugar boluses every three, four hours. So this process that normally should be very elegant and quick is constantly being bombarded. The body's constantly releasing insulin because there's another sugar bolus coming through. Um, and then your, your fat burning is blunted. Your energy levels are constantly on a roller coaster. So you're getting that next quick hit fix. And people are using sugar to kind of like medicate because it, it, get, it does release some uh, feel good neurotransmitters like the serotonin and the dopamine, et cetera, that make us feel good in the short term. In the long term, the effects are absolutely devastating. We know that um, for brain health in particular, when people have high sugar diets, they, they're calling Alzheimer's disease or a lot of neurodegenerative conditions like type four diabetes. It's like diabetes of the brain. Um, so sugar, definitely not good. But I want to make a distinction here between what you said, um, which I think was very smart, is refined sugars versus natural sugars. And I'm not going to say that like essentially a molecule of, let's just say glucose inside a fruit source versus a molecule of glucose from a Skittle is ultimately the same glucose molecule, but it ends up being a very different experience for the body, depending on where it comes in. If you're getting this devoid of any vitamins, minerals, fibers, et cetera, in the form of like candy or sugar or soda, excuse me, got a dog barking for a sec. Go get them, Luna. (laughs) Um, if you, if you get these things in the context of like Skittles, you're not getting the satiety that you would get if you got it from something like fruit. Fruit um, is very unique. It is a source of sugar, but that sugar is coming from a concert of fiber, water, vitamins, phytochemicals that actually make that body process things so much better. So especially with this super low carb thing going on right now, I think people are almost throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It's like there's things like blueberries, for example, that have so many research health benefits that wouldn't necessarily fit on a keto, 
couple of them has 20 grams of sugar, but it's an experience for the body um, that it can be absolutely wonderful in the right context. But overall, when people are looking to lose weight, a lower carbohydrate diet, and certainly getting rid of those processed sugars, especially liquid sugars, which give you no satiety, you, you drink them and you're no, no more full than what you were and you're on the blood sugar roller coaster, um, is going to be absolutely essential because we want to reestablish that body's normal insulin signaling that we talked about. Um, and, and here's the deal. You can have sugar from fruit and lose weight. There are people who are pure fruitarians who literally eat 30 plus bananas a day and have lost 100 pounds. So I, I want to bring that up as an extreme example, not to say that's what someone should do. That's not an optimal diet by any means. Doesn't you know, we, we intuitively know that, but it's to be said that um, not all sugar is created equal in terms of where it comes. We want to get rid of all of the processed added sugars and take an audit of our life where those are coming from. We want to get rid of all drink sugars sources. Absolutely. But I'm going to say, do not be afraid of fruit. Um, the right kinds at the right times in the right amounts. And if you feel like right now you want to keep the fruit out for a while, but just don't, don't, don't be afraid of uh, getting rid of that long-term because there's a lot of benefits in that stuff. Yeah. And I think, again, it goes, so one of the things I did is I bought a um, continuous blood glucose monitor. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't have diabetes and I'm not pre-diabetic or anything like that, but one thing that I have noticed big time is that I have reactive hypoglycemia. Mm. And it's when after that you basically have hypo after eating, which is sure. when your blood glucose levels become dangerously low following a meal that's too high in sugar. So in general, my blood sugar stays really, really level. So, you know, right now I'm fasting, I'm not having eaten anything and my blood sugar is anywhere from 70 to 80 mm -hmm. and it's perfect. The only time I have a, a problem is when I eat too much sugar at a meal. And so I have too much sugar. And then a couple hours later, what happens is now I have a drastic drop. As long as I eat a normal meal with, you know, lots of protein and lots of veggies, a little bit of fruit is fine. But if I, if I literally have even like maybe 20 Skittles, my, which like I'll, I don't have, but I'm just saying like <laughs> if yes, I have it, um, I, my blood sugar will go hot higher, like maybe to like 150, yeah. something like that. But then what will happen is, so I'll look at my blood glucose monitor. So right now it's actually a little high. It's at 89 cause I'm mm -hmm. fasted. It's not Normally it stays somewhere in that 70 it's to 80. It's normal for the morning though. Cortisol will rise it, raise it a little mm -hmm. bit naturally. That's yeah. So I'm at 89, which is fine. I haven't eaten anything. But if I had something that was a lot of carbs, a lot of sugar. So the other day I don't, I had like, yeah, I even had like a cauliflower pizza, I think, but whatever I did, I just had a lot of carbs and sugars and I, it rose up to about 150. Mm -hmm. But then all of a sudden maybe two hours later, I looked at my monitor and it was beeping at me and it was at 63. My blood mm -hmm. sugar had gone down to 63. So that's something for me, even though I'm not pre-diabetic, I'm not diabetic, but I've now just learned that about my body yeah. that if I have too much sugar and it can be too much fruit, if I have too much fruit, my blood sugar will, will go up to about 150. But the problem is it then 
two hours later, it will go down so low that now I'm at 60, 63 for my blood glucose levels. And then you don't feel good when you're, when you're around that, that range. But again, I've used these kind of tools, right. For me to see, okay, what is working for me Mm -hmm. now? I had to pay because I, I had to pay this with cash. So I had to pay like $500 to get this because my insurance won't cover it because I have no, I'm not pre-diabetic. I'm not diabetic, but still to me, that's worth it because I get to really see how, and then I don't have to have this forever, but now I've can learn my body and learn exactly how I'm reacting and how I'm feeling. Very well said. Amazing points. I think a couple of things I'd like to just plus on there is one is we are all individual. This is fascinating. We used to look at those like glycemic index charts. It's basically like how much does a given food spike your blood sugar? Um, And they found out that it's super individual. Like you and I could eat one particular food and you might have a dramatic spike. I might not and vice versa. And it has to do with our our different gut microbiome and how they process those foods differently. So getting individual data like, like you are gathering right now is wonderful to understand your trends. Another key point is to understand what you said is that your energy levels are proportional to your blood sugar stability. What you don't want is this roller coaster, right? The high and then that insulin, your insulin system is working a little too well, right? Because you get that reactive hypoglycemia, it clears too much of that sugar. So the velocity of that blood sugar rise, if you get a big spike after a meal, is going to mean that that insulin system needs to work a little harder, a little faster, a little more aggressively, which is going to give you um, a higher likelihood of having reactive hypoglycemia. So what if we could slow down that curve of blood sugar release after a meal? And one of the easiest ways to do that um, is what a lot of people find success with is increasing the healthy fats in that meal. Fat Mm -hmm. slows gastric emptying, which Mm -hmm. basically says that food's in your system, right? It's in your stomach. It's getting churned up and getting released that small intestine, fat slows the entire process down. There is a dramatic difference between, let's just say having a a cup and a half of brown rice with a little bit of salmon um, and a cup and a half of brown rice, that's meal one, a cup and a half of brown rice, a little bit of salmon and an avocado. Um, the avocado would dramatically slow down that gastric emptying between those two meals. And salmon might not have been the right, um, salmon has some healthy fat in it anyway. So might've chicken might've been the better example. The point being adding healthy fats to your meals slows down that blood sugar spike. So does fiber. Um, and, and this is why when we eat like whole non-processed foods, they almost always come with a natural source of fiber. And a lot of times if we're eating nuts, seeds, we're having avocado, healthy oils, or if you are eating um, animal proteins with, with your diet, you are getting some healthy fats in there. This can really help tremendously. So, but the processed sugar has none of that, right? It has none of the fiber, it has none of the healthy fats. So it's like a recipe um, for disaster. So blood sugar needs to be controlled. And I think things like fasting is beautiful for sensitizing your body to that insulin um, and then just paying attention. And, and I think a lot of people who are concerned, oh man, if I fast, you know, my blood sugar is just going to be tanked. Well, actually our bodies are kind of built for this. And you'll find that um, as you begin to fast, and I know you know this, you can maintain very stable blood sugar levels um, and it'll help your body actually get more sensitive to insulin over time. Hey guys, one of the things that will take your weight loss to the next level is coaching. You can either work one-on-one with me or one of our certified private coaches. If you'd like, you can schedule your free call. It's a 10-minute strategy call just to see if coaching is going to really take you to the next level. Don't just take my word for it. Listen to this recent review a happy coaching client sent in. Thanks so much for your help and guidance. I never could have done it without you. 
The other thing is listening to the audiobook. Listening to the audiobook and getting the video course that I've done, people are seeing dramatic results. If you just listen to the audiobook 30 minutes a day, over and over and over again, and get the video course, go to ChantelRayway.com and check out the video course. You won't be sorry you did. Yeah, I used to be pre-diabetic before I started doing fasting. So my blood sugar has... I, you know, I hate when people say, well, I can't do fasting because my blood sugar, I have hypoglycemic and this and that, and I, I can't do it. And I say, I used to be extreme, extraordinarily hypoglycemic. My fasting, my blood sugar levels have been more stable than ever. And the more fasting I do, the more stable my blood sugar gets. It's absolutely amazing. Mm. I want you to talk a little bit about your liver and how your liver also makes and stores its own glucose mm -hmm. to help keep your blood sugar within that normal range. And if people have some liver issues, that may cause a problem. Yeah, totally. So the liver is like our reserve tank of gas. Our body stores carbohydrates um, in the form of glycogen. That's the storage form of carbohydrates in our muscles. We use those, you know, when we're fasting, when we're exercising. And then the liver is like the backup, backup store. The liver can store a couple hundred grams of, of glucose. And the goal of the liver is in between meals when we want to maintain that stable, nice blood sugar. Let's say something somewhere around like 80, for example. The liver is constantly trickling out blood sugar. Um, and there's a seesaw between this hormone insulin we talked about. Insulin's released when we eat and it clears out that blood sugar and a hormone called glucagon. And glucagon's job is to break down sugar from the liver and release it slowly into the bloodstream to keep us stable. So the liver does this constantly. It's, it's probably our main metabolic organ alongside the pancreas. It's absolutely essential. Um, but what happens is when we're constantly slamming sugar, the body is forced to store those excess calories, that excess sugar first in the muscles. And then when the muscles are all, those muscle stores are all stored up, then it's putting that sugar and converting into fat. And it's also creating fat in the liver. This is why when we happen with this whole diabetes, pre-diabetes metabolic syndrome thing that so many people are unfortunately going through, um, it's concurrent with something called fatty liver disease, where we're overloading the body with so much sugar that the liver is already full and maxed out with its source. So it's starting to create fat. And there's other things that, you know, a couple this with alcohol, which also can increase fatty liver disease incidence um, and, and not sleeping well with stress, which is also related to that. And then you have the situation where the liver is gunked up um, and the liver is a metabolic organ, but it's also doing all sorts of things for detoxification too. So if we're getting exposed with chemicals from our environment, from our foods, from all sorts of things and we have a fatty liver that's not effectively metabolizing, we have like a recipe for disaster. So one of the best ways, again, is to um, either go lower carbohydrate for a while or do fasting, which is beautiful because during a fast, especially if you're eating a lower carbohydrate diet naturally, it's going to empty out that liver. And it's good for that liver to get empty once in a while, to be able to empty out and then to refill. And over time, that's going to help reduce that fat accumulation in the liver. So basically, liver is super essential um, and eating too much sugar is going to cause that liver to be fatty. And, and it's, it's a big problem for a lot of people. One thing I want to touch on that you mentioned, but I'd like you to expand on is just, you said that one thing is that you'd like people to wake up and get some of that midday sunlight. And I want you to expand on that and, and why people's vitamin D levels are so low. And you're hearing people over and over that they're tired, they don't have energy, but they're not getting that midday sunlight. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about sunshine. 
We'll first talk about in the context of vitamin D, but there's so much more to sunshine than just vitamin D. So vitamin D is, is one of our master vitamin slash hormones. Um, we were talking a lot about the immune system, right? We want a healthy, strong immune system. Well, every single white blood cell has a vitamin D3 receptor. And that's not by accident. Vitamin D3, when it interacts with these blood cells, or the, the immune cells and the blood cells, for example, um, it leads to a cascade of, of better functioning. It's good for strong bones, can stabilize our mood. And unfortunately, one, we're not getting enough sunshine or we're wearing clothes that's blocking the sunshine. And as we're moving into the winter months right now, the sun's pattern changes. And if you're in certain points of the world, you're not going to get the right kind of uh, radiation from the sun that your skin uses to synthesize that vitamin D3. Um, and so I think most people, if they're feeling crummy, should probably go to their doctor and get a vitamin D3 blood test. It's something you can check. Um, I think they estimate that up to 75% of people have low vitamin D3 levels. It's crazy because we also burn through D3 stores when we're stressed as well. And sunshine is the natural way for us to get the D3. It's, it's, it, there are benefits to supplementing because it's convenient, but our bodies make the best form of vitamin D3, sulfated vitamin D3, when we get our skin in the sun. And we soak up that sunshine, even and it depends on how long you need to be outside based on your skin tone. If you have darker skin tone, you need to be out longer than if you have lighter skin tone. Um, but getting that sun every morning is essential on your skin for the D3 production, which can help your immune system, help you feel better, more energetic, less depressed, like that whole seasonal affective disorder, SAD, SAD, where people get depressed, like people who live in Alaska and they're having like no sunshine for a big part of the year and they have depression, they have low immune systems and, and their mood is terrible. A lot of that's mediated by D3, but it's also sunshine in your eyes. This is, I, I really want to stress this because uh, when you do glance into the sun, that light goes through that eye and hits an area of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. And, and it causes your brain to, re to release serotonin and create serotonin. What do we give people who are depressed? Drugs that increase serotonin. It is this, is this balancing, mood-elevating neurotransmitter. Our, our bodies make it from contact with sunshine. And later in the day, we convert that serotonin to melatonin which helps us lose weight, which reduces inflammation in our bodies, helps our bodies heal. This is sun. Sun is truly like a vitamin for our bodies and we need to connect more with it. Certainly for the D3, but also just for maintaining that whole rhythm that we've been talking about today. So, and yeah, I think that's so important because a lot of people don't realize they're like, oh, vitamin D, but they're not thinking we need to get our, our eyes directly in that sunlight. And talk a little bit about, it's funny, I had a guest probably about a year ago talk about how you, his whole family gets naked mm -hmm. and they go outside in their backyard so that they could get more of their body covered um, in sunlight. So besides the eyes, is there any other tips that you have? Like, do you suggest getting naked outside? Um, what is... Is, or can you get the majority of it if you're, you know, let's say just in short sleeves? I mean, you can't. Maximum body exposure would be ideal. Like the the naked guest is is on to something <laughs> for sure. It is, I mean, you do what you want. I'm not suggesting this for anyone, you know, you do how your family does it, but to <laughs> truly maximum body exposure to the sun would be ideal. Um, and it's interesting with men in particular, what they found is that um, 
because men, men are the male sexual organs are different because they're kind of hanging down from the body. You have the, the testicles that are hanging out there. What they found is that the sun rays that hit the male testicles increase testosterone production. So it's almost like the whole male organism is designed to have, um, you know, the sunlight on the testicles. And for women, I don't know any of the research necessarily on any of the breasts or if it improves breast health, but I, I'm pretty sure we're designed to be in direct contact with the sunlight. So the more you can get on your body, the better. So maybe you throw on your bathing suit with your family and you get out there and you soak up the sun, but more skin exposure is the better. And you don't want to do it like to fry yourself. It's more just like daily exposure before the sun is like super, super hot, but it's definitely um, visible would be a really good idea. Awesome. Okay. What other tips do you have? Well, when it comes to exercise, I, I think I'd like to talk about like more of a philosophy tip um, and how we think about exercise versus how many people do. There's the old model of exercise where we thought we need to like exercise to burn calories, um, where it's like, oh, I was on the treadmill. I burned 500 calories. I did this class and it was city. I burned 600 calories. Like that's cool. But I think the better way to think about exercise is that it's an investment in your metabolic rate. When we do the right kinds of higher intensity exercise, we get a metabolic lift for up to a day afterward. So if you're a busy person doing 30 minute workouts of the right kind sprinkled throughout the week on like Monday, Wednesday, Friday can give you that boost throughout the entire week. And as we age, our metabolism naturally slows down. And as we lose our muscle mass, as we age, our metabolism slows down every, even further. So if we can do some exercise and almost think of it, this is my 90 minutes per week in three 30 minute sessions that I'm pulsing in metabolism increasing exercise, you're almost making your body work better all throughout the day. It's like the best investment. You're a businesswoman. So if like you could do something for 30 minutes that would give you benefit for 24 hours, like it seems like a really good return on time investment. So that's how we need to start thinking about exercise. And I think a lot of people who struggle to exercise, um, one, they have a relationship to it that it's like, it's something painful. It's something that takes time away from them um, and that they don't really see the clear benefit of it. So that those resistance points means like when you get busy or you were up late the night before, you don't want to actually get into um, your routine and do the exercise. So we need to start to build better neuro associations with how essential exercise is um, to help us get more motivated to actually go do it. And what I suggest people do is these kind of workouts that are called metabolic resistance training, MRT. It's a combination of some strength training moves, you know, things like squats, shoulder presses, rows, deadlifts, perfect for women and men, but you do these in a circuit. So you're getting like the cardio and you're getting the muscle building effect all in one. You can do these workouts in 30 minutes and they're incredibly effective. It sounds like many of the classes you probably go to are similar to this metabolic resistance training style. It's probably the best kind of exercise for busy people and you get all these benefits. And I would say, treat your exercise like a meeting, like schedule it in the week before. Like I know I'm exercising at these three times it's on the schedule. And just like a meeting, if it gets, if, if it gets missed, it gets moved. It gets shifted and you're tracking this and adding more intention to it. Um, and I, I would also like remove many of the barriers that people struggle to go get the workouts in. So barriers are location. Oh man, I don't want to go drive to the gym or it, it's busy or all the gyms are on lockdown right now, or I don't have this. I don't have that. Well, we help people figure out how to exercise at home with like a pair of dumbbells and not say you have to, you could certainly go to classes, but like you need to have a place where you exercise that is very low friction. That's not creating a lot of obstacles for you to actually get into it. Hey guys, I wanted to tell you I'm offering a free weight loss virtual Bible study. Now is the perfect time to focus on understanding true hunger and fullness and learn what the Bible has to say about it. 
All you have to do is go to ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study. After you sign up, you'll receive a six week Bible study video that you can watch on your own, or you can get a small group of people and do it together. That's ChantelRayWay.com slash Bible study for your free six week Bible study course. So, and I think yeah. that you're saying, you know, I think that's an, the age old question. You know, people are like, well, what's better, cardio or weightlifting? And you're basically saying the answers both are valuable totally. and work different parts of your body. And you need to consider figuring out how can you incorporate both of them at the same time so that you can make it incorporated into your lifestyle. Yes. And I want to plus on one thing. She brought something up really, really excellent. If we look at like the healthiest, longest living people, like the centenarians around the world, the communities that live to hundred plus regularly, like they are just doing daily activity. So if you are so busy that you're like, I don't even think I, I don't want to, or I don't even think I can get these 30 minutes of the strength and cardio workouts in just tracking your movement and moving more is enough to start getting healthy. We've literally helped women on our fit mother program, lose a hundred pounds without doing any exercise, but they do walk for 30 minutes a day, they do have a meal timing schedule set up and they do sleep well. So the more we can just move our bodies, the better. And I also like this concept too, that we teach of micro workouts. Okay. So you can't get a full 30 minute session in, or you don't want to, well, certainly throughout your day, uh, every, every hour to two hours, you can do five to 10 minutes of a brisk walk of some squats of some things. You can accumulate activity because if you do that every day and you accumulate another 30 minutes of activity a day, and you multiply that by seven days, that's, over three hours of exercise that you wouldn't have done anyway, if you had this all or nothing mentality, it's how like, I'm getting into the gym doing this, or I'm doing nothing. Same problem that people get into with the diet thinking I'm either on the diet or I'm off the diet. Um, either I'm doing a full intense workout program or I'm not where that's not how life works. Life is so much more flexible and fluid. Um, and that's, I think we can invite that mentality into our understanding of exercise and it'll help us stay more consistent. And one of the things I've incorporated is I basically have so many five to 10 minute meetings, and then I'll have a 20 minute meeting and a 30 minute meeting. I just do all my meetings in a walk piece. Some nice. I have a meeting, the, this guy came and had a meeting with me and I said, okay, if you want to have a meeting with me, I've got so much to do. I will, you have to walk with me to the place that I'm picking up my smoothie and my salad. And literally he's like in a three piece suit and we're like walking, um, and crossing the street. And I was like, that's how we're going to meet. Like you can nice. talk I and love meet. It. And I'm sitting here power walking. He's trying to keep up, but really think about how many meetings you have that you could just say, we're taking this meeting and we're just going to walk. It's a so five good. minute meeting outside every time. Get your sunshine too. It's that's, that's such right. a good, such a good habit for sure. I love that. Well, what have I not asked you that you would love to tell listeners? Well, Okay. I think in conclusion, I guess we'd, I'd like to talk about the inner game of this health stuff. It's very easy for us to talk about strategies, external behaviors, but ultimately, and this is kind of comes back to the story of my dad and my mom, when it comes to our health, it's so much about our emotions and our relationship to ourself and our relationship to understanding our why of why health is essential. And I don't know if there's anyone, even if they've been doing this health stuff consistently for 10, 20, 30 plus years, that couldn't benefit from doing some deeper reflection and connecting to why health is essential. Because when we, when we have things in our lives that we know are essential, like feeding our children, it's not a matter of if we're going to do it, 
it gets done. Like we meet our musts, the things that are musts in our lives. So the question then is begged, how do we make health a must? And I think that comes down to connecting to our understanding of why health is essential. So again, for me, I I learned from an early age through the tragedy of my family that health is the foundation of everything we love. If you lose your health, you lose your ability to do all the things you love, to connect with your kids, to be around to see your grandkids grow up, to pursue your hobbies, passions, build your businesses, learn, grow. So health is essential on that. For people um, who, who worship and believe in God, there is a lot of scriptural evidence that's very strong. I'm basically saying this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps that's another way for you to connect deeper with your health. Um, but point being is you've got to dig deep and find your why. And what we help with all of our fit mother and fit father program members, before they start our diets or our workouts, we have them do this deep journaling reflection in a mission statement. They write it out. First off, they look at how are their current behaviors with their eating, their sleep, their exercise affecting every area of their life? How's it affecting your finances? Like what would happen in your life financially if you could get your energy and have vibrant health and confidence? How would that change? How's it affecting your spirituality, your parenting, um, your confidence, all these areas. When you start to make the connections, you start to see health is foundational. And when you do, the next time you're faced with a situation where you're tempted on something or you're feeling the laziness or all these things, you have a deeper emotional connection to why. Because if it's just a workout and you don't really care, you're not going to do it you're going to fall off track. But if you understand that this is a part of a bigger design of living congruent with your values in all areas of life, you're going to have a deeper sense of motivation and power that's going to help you stay on track. So doing this deep reflection work is absolutely foundational. I would say if you could sleep and reflect, <laughs> that'd be your first start. Then you get your meal timing set up. Then you increase your daily activity. You take those walking meetings and then you eventually sprinkle in three of these metabolic resistance training workouts and you have a very healthy lifestyle, one for you and your family. Awesome. I love that. Well, tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. So check out, you can either Google Fit Mother Project or you can type in www.fitmotherproject.com. Um, and there is where you can see all the transformations, case studies, our amazing women on our programs. We have a really amazing Fit Mother YouTube channel. I think we have several hundred videos, 100,000 plus subscribers, lots of great people on there that are, um, you know, lots of great videos and content, free meal plans, free workouts. So either fitmotherproject.com or Fit Mother Project on YouTube, great places. And we also have fitfatherproject.com and our Fit Father Project YouTube. So those are our places to find us. And Chantel, thank you for having me on. This is a, it's a great conversation. Thank you so much. And you guys stay tuned. We'll have another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.